Bob, could we talk about dating for a little bit? Sure. Uh, what's the best dating advice you've ever heard? I always, I always told my kids that the best thing you can do when you're dating is be people of integrity and treat people with respect and be honorable. I encourage people to date to learn about people. Um, you know, there's some fear in, in our world, in Christendom, that, that if you date somebody, it's just the next step to marrying them. Yeah. And I, I really try to help people to see that dating really is more about getting to know people yeah. and getting to know yourself. Yeah. People in their early 20s, mid-20s, um, part of the movement today in that world is nobody's getting married unless they live together. It's just so common anymore that the people just want to live together before they get married, move in with each other. Statistically, it's not a good idea. Those relationships fail at a higher rate than, than most marriages do. Room full of young, single adults. Uh, what, do, what do you say to them who have lots of baggage around dating and, you know, you know, questions like, what's your dating experience been like for you? Yeah. What have you learned from this, uh, both good and bad? Why do you date? What are you looking for? Those questions need to be answered honestly. Yeah. Young adults like that, asking those kind of questions can be really helpful to start out. You know, it's kind of like, let's get this portrait started. What does it look like for you? What have you learned so far? Um, where do you want to go with this in the future? Um, the expectation to become sexually involved early, um, that's huge. Huge. Yeah, a lot right of pressure, right. a lot of pressure on that. Um, I just tell kids, young adults automatically, if you want to ruin a dating relationship, have sex. God didn't design it that way for a good reason, not because he doesn't like sex. Yeah. It's just going to ruin the, the, the process of this. And now all of a sudden the attention is totally different. We're not building a relationship anymore. So I'll tell females right out of the chute, you know, when I'm talking with them, if you want your first filter for determining whether this guy's safe or not for you, is does he have empathy? Does he have the capacity for empathy interpersonally? And does he show it globally? How does he comment about politics? How does he comment about what's going on in the community? How does he comment about drivers driving down the road, which we all struggle with? Um, you know, listen to his language. Listen to what's being said. And guys, the same thing for her as well. What I encourage them to look for is can they talk? Can they talk about their, their, their history? Can they tell their story with some sense of um, honesty and truth? And can they even speak their truth? Well, hey, Journey. Morning. My name's Chris. It's good to be with all of you. That was our friend, Bob. Bob is a licensed clinical professional counselor in Billings at uh, Northwest Counseling Center, and, and he's been doing that for 39 years. He specializes in marriage and relationships, and I am none of those things with none of those specializations, so they've decided I should speak to you this morning. <laughs> uh, lucky you. 
right? So, so let, let's do this. Let's step into another week of our current series called Hot August Nights, right? A series all about love, sex, marriage, dating, relationships. Uh, apparently, Hot August Nights is a reference to some Neil Diamond music, is that right? That predates me, okay? So speaking of dating, let's, let's dive in. Before we do that, though, let, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to be gathered here together, to be in the presence of one another, and ultimately to be in the presence of you, a God who meets us where we are. I, I pray that you would help each one of us to remove whatever might be hindering us from encountering and engaging with you today. And God, that even in the midst of a sermon that's maybe about dating, you might actually have something for each one of us. And I, I pray that we would be open to receive that. God, I also pray for me that, that you would give me your words to speak, uh, that this wouldn't be about me and that there's just this realization I can't do this on my own. May you be glorified and made famous and, and lifted up this morning. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I kind of get all worn out with these lists, you know, the ones with like the, the characteristics your future spouse should have, right? Or like the, the seven things to do on a date or the, the four things never to say to a single person, right? Or, or like the, the 20 things that are essential to do with your life when trying to find someone to spend eternity with or whatever, you know, like they're exhausting. The lists are exhausting. And I'll tell you right now, this is not a sermon of lists, Okay, no lists here today. So feel free to Google the plethora of lists on dating, relationships, marriage, singleness, whatever. Like whatever you need to Google, go Google that, okay? And I think my problem with lists is that I struggle with it because it comes to this point where all of a sudden we've got a list of something and we've created the perfect partner, right, or the perfect way to date, or the perfect relationship, right, like blah, 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 blah. I don't, a list is just something that we like, oh, that's a good list, and then we don't do any of it anyway, right, it's just a cool list, we're like, that's great, and then nothing happens, right, so I don't really like lists for that reason. Uh, in terms of dating, here, here are my credentials to be talking about dating. I'm a good dater, and I'm an experienced dater, I dominated the middle school dating scene, right? Like, I just did. I, I know what it takes. I know what it takes to date, okay? Really, though, like, that's probably not the best track record. Uh, but the, the question then would be, like, what makes a person good at dating? Maybe, maybe it's my wife, Kate. She actually has a perfect record. She dated one person and married him. I would like to meet him. He sounds great, right? Like, no, that, right, like, she, that was me, and, and you might be thinking, now that we're getting to know each other a little bit, that, that little rash, maybe she jumped into that too fast, there's other fish in the sea, like, she could have upgraded, whatever, right? Like, so, so what makes someone good at dating? And, and then that's the, the question is, like, is marriage really the goal of dating? Because if that's the goal, like, yikes, that's some pressure right there, Right? because that probably means quite a few of us have fallen short. Like I have not married any of the girls I dated in middle school. Like it just, it didn't work out, right? Or like is dating something you stop when you do get married? 
because I'd argue that it's not, that it's actually essential to your marriage. So, so again, like what is the purpose of dating? Here's the thing, though. We all want a relationship that matters. Like we all want to be loved. Most of us want to give love. We all want to make love, right? Like, anyway, I... I, I I digress, right? How, how many of you have read the book, The Fault in Our Stars? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Come on. Right? So mostly me and teenage girls and then a few of us who are not teenagers have read that book. How many of you have seen the movie, The Fault in Our Stars? Okay, a few more of you. A few more of you have seen the movie. So this book is quite possibly my favorite book of all time. And I, I know where that puts me, like, in the scope of the world, okay? Like, I understand that. Uh, my, my friend says, if you have a heart beating in your chest, you should read this book. And I totally agree. I actually so love this book that I'm still miffed that my friend Jordan didn't tell me about it the moment she finished it, and she's an English teacher. Like, you need to read this book. It will shake your soul. Anyway, right, like this isn't a sermon on the fault in our stars. Sorry, like, I, I am, I do have the credentials to preach that sermon, but that's not what we're doing today. Okay, this isn't a fault in our stars sermon. But here's the thing. When we read something like that book that you at this point might not know anything about, here's what happens, right? Like, there's this guy, Augustus, and there's this girl, Hazel, and they both are teenagers with terminal forms of cancer. You're like, why is that your favorite book? Okay, so here's the thing. So then they, they, they fall in love that this relationship happens. And so we read a book like this and we think, I want a relationship like Hazel and Augustus. Like where, where, where Hazel says this, like this sums up their relationship. She says, I fell in love the way you fall asleep, slowly and then all at once. Oh, right? <laughs> Like, the majority of you are like, you know, right? You're like, you throw up. No, thank you. Right? But I, thought, like, I love that. That just, that just gets me, right? Or, or how about when Augustus says this to Hazel, right? And, and at this point, he's calling her Hazel Grace, right? Because that's her middle name, and girls like it when you use two names, like Hazel Grace. And so he says to her, you are so busy being you that you have no idea how unprecedented you are. Oh, brilliant, right? Like, that's, that's beautiful, that's great. Like, I'm so obsessed with this book that I actually went back and looked at my, my Twitter account, and I tweeted 15 consecutive times quoting or commenting on this young adult fiction book. Okay? Like, I have issues. But the point is, the point is, right, we, we have this image of what a relationship is supposed to look like. And so we see Hazel and we see Augustus and we're like, I want that. Or maybe to, to, to bring us all in, right? Like, I know not all of us are big on Hazel and Augustus right now. Like, I don't know, when Harry met Sally, right? For you older folk, right? Like, so, you know, like you, you're like, I want a relationship like that. And you know what the thing is? Then all of a sudden our relationships, they never measure up. They don't look like that. You know, they don't. They don't, so... Like, it's such an extreme in terms of dating and what that looks like that some of us have even gone so far as to kiss dating goodbye. 
That's a reference to a cheesy Christian book that was written once about, never mind. So, so whether you've kissed dating goodbye or, or you, you strive for like this Hazel and Augustus type of love or you're even currently married, right? Because this sermon's all inclusive. This is for everyone. Like here's the key. Here's the key. Dating or a great relationship isn't about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. Right, I think Andy Stanley might have said something like that. So right, like, listen to it again. What if dating and what if relationships in general were less about finding the right person and more about becoming the right person? Hmm? I don't know. Richard Rohr says it like this. He says, a relationship demands two. So the first step in the dance of intimacy is an appropriate sense of self. We all know stories about teenagers or even older people who give themselves away to another person in the hope of finding themselves. It never works, of course. So they think this handsome man or this beautiful woman is going to take care of me and is going to give me my identity. But it never works, right? So what if our focus was on becoming the people God created and called and intended us to be? Right, so if you're sitting here and you're waiting like for this next part where I'm going to give you the perfect dating passage from the Bible, we're going to be waiting a long time. We are. Because guess how much the Bible has to say about dating? Any guesses? No? No guesses? Zero, Zero right? Like zilch. Nothing. Right? Nada. Thank you for playing. Right? Like... It, Nothing. The, the Bible and its, and its library of authors has nothing to say on dating. I'm sorry. But however, the, the Bible and its library of authors has much to say on becoming, on the type of person you're becoming. Right? But I also think it's crazy as if we're going to talk about dating. Like, who, who would you say, this is another question you can participate if you'd so desire. Like, who, who would you say are arguably the two most prominent voices we see in Scripture? Who might those be? Paul, okay, and and who's the other one? It's always right in a setting like this. You just say his name. Say it. Jesus, right? Yeah, right, so we hear a lot from Jesus, and we hear a lot from Paul. You know what we know about Jesus and Paul? Well, they were probably single, right? So we're like, oh, great, right, great. Here we go. The thing that I find a little comfort in, though, is that Jesus was actually tempted in every way we are, right? Like, so there's some comfort in that. Jesus has been there. He gets us, that sort of thing. So speaking of Jesus, which is a good thing to do at this point in the sermon, when it, when it comes to, to dating, what we, what we do is we have a tendency to forget to make the main thing the main thing. Or like at the center of all relationships, dating relationships included, we must find Jesus, Like dating in all relationships that matter. Like it's not about what we can get out of it. It's not about how it will affect us. Dating is still about just as every part of our lives is making much of Jesus. Jesus is at the core of every relationship because Jesus to his core is relational. Right, so let's look at what one of these presumably single guys, the Apostle Paul, has to say. First, let me just give you this little teaser. I don't know what it is. It's free, right? So, so Paul's advice in the scriptures is this. We're not looking at it today, but this is his advice. Stay single, right? We're like, 
right? He, he's like, stay single. He goes, but you should get married if you can't control yourself. And I'll let you interpret what that is, okay? I, I'll let you figure that out. But that's, that's Paul's like general bend. He's like, that's my advice. So we're going to look at something else Paul says as it pertains to relationships. So turn or tap or scroll or however you get to God's word these days. And we're going to start in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking, really, to the Ephesians about what is relationship. Like, this is about relationship. How do you do it? Here's what he says. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Imitate God. Right, so that begs the question, like, well, what is God like? Well, God's like Jesus, so imitate Jesus, right? The same Jesus who is tempted in every way we are, the same Jesus whose love is sacrificial. Like, if you're trying to figure out how to interact in any type of relationship, we'll imitate Jesus, all right? Imitate Jesus. Then the other thing we find in here. Right, I just say so this isn't a list, it's just some ideas, right? Because this isn't a sermon of lists, some ideas we see here. Right? It's, it's who are we? Paul says to those of us who are following Jesus, you are his dearly loved children. Right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, it's probably worthwhile to date someone who holds to the same core belief as you do, and that means that they too are a child of God. So remember who you are and remember who they are. And the last thing I kind of see in this is that it seems to me that God is far more interested in telling us who we are than he is in telling us what to do. So like if you're sitting there with your Bible open and your journal and your coffee, right, like a good Christian would do, like if, if you've got the good Christian set up and you're like, okay, God, speak to me about dating. Tell me who to date. Tell me what to do. You're not going to find it. Like, it's going to be silent, which is sometimes good, too. But, right, like, he, he wants to tell you who you are rather than tell you what to do. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do, right? That you are his dearly loved child, that he is enough. And that should be the filter at which we view and, and live our life, dating, married, single, whatever it might be. And so as it comes to this idea of imitating God, just, just recently, my wife, she began medical school. If you don't know anything about medical school, it's hard. <laughs> and it's a lot of science, right? Like, I don't know. It, it's over my head. But she just started, and it takes lots of time. And so over the last few weeks, like, my role has been to help her find her rhythm, to, to get that transition in life going. So that means I, I'm doing things like I'm, I'm keeping stuff clean. I'm fixing meals, and I'm, I'm a really good cook now, you know? Like, I am. I'm being kind of humble. And and. and you know, take care of the dogs, that sort of thing, so that she could, she could find her rhythm. And I found myself in the midst of that, experiencing this, this tension and this stress because I was making Kate, my wife, out to be God. I was so striving to please her that I put her in a place where she doesn't belong in my life. And so th this tension kind of like came all down on me one morning as I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm doing right the thing. I've got my journal and my Bible and my coffee and I'm spending some time with God. And I'm like, God, what is going on? What, what, are, you, what are you trying to say to me? And, and here's what I heard. However, you, like you hear, right? Like I felt it or was impressed upon my spirit. 
right? Like, we talk like that in Christianese sometimes. I, I just heard this from God, okay? And here's what he said. He said, if you want to love Kate best, you've got to love me first. If you want to love Kate best, you've got to love me first. Like, shouldn't that just spill out into every single relationship we have? If you want to love your spouse best, love Jesus first. If you want to love your friends best, love Jesus first. If you want to love your neighbor best, love Jesus first. If you want to date and you're doing that thing and you want to love your boyfriend or girlfriend best, love Jesus first. Like, that's what it looks like to imitate God and live this life of love, right? But there's more. Like, if we flesh that out, what does it look like? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to take us to this chapter that, that it's, it's a little cliche, okay? It's the love chapter. If you've been to a wedding, you've heard it, okay? So if that was you and that was your wedding, like my mother, don't be offended, okay? I, I, it's a great chapter. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, this is the love chapter. I don't know how we get to this place in the world where certain scripture becomes cliche, but it is a little bit. So I'm gonna try and make it come alive for you, okay? So, so here, here's what you need to know. 1 Corinthians 13 lies right between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, right? Yeah, that's right, scholar, Okay. But here's the thing, 1 Corinthians 12 is Paul writing to, to the church in Corinth because they're, they're all worked up about their spiritual gifts and they're like making that the big deal and there's all this dissension now in the church and everybody's like, I got this gift, I got this gift, right? And they're boasting about it and that sort of thing and they're missing the point. And so as Paul's writing that, he then pens this poem, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 13, like it's a poem that he writes, and, and he intends it to, to open up their, their mind, their senses, who they are, to what love actually looks like. And so then that leads to 1 Corinthians 14, which is now, okay, those spiritual gifts built upon the foundation of what love is. Okay, so that's what we're going to see here. So here's what Paul describes. This is the kind of love Jesus modeled beginning in verse 4. It's kind of long, but it's good, so follow along. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, right? Like, this is what he was talking about from 1 Corinthians 12. These are the things they thought were most important. And he said, no, eventually, love will win out. Love will win out. He says, love will last forever, right? Like, Paul knows what he's saying. I'll just let him speak. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture, but when the time of perfection comes, that's when Jesus makes it all new again, right? Those partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. That, as a standalone, is great dating advice, by the way. Right? Like, turn off the Xbox. I don't know. Get out of the basement. Whatever it is that's got to happen in your life. There you go. Now we see these things imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity, right? That's 
Jesus. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Like Let, let that sink in. Let that sink in. I think it's so meaningful. I think it's something we should so impress upon our lives and our hearts. I'm going to read you the version from the message. All right, this is the message version of the Bible, and it's pretty quick. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep, keep score of the sins of other, doesn't revel when others grovel, take pleasures in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. That's what love is. Like, so this isn't just some pie in the sky hope of living. Right, like this is possible because of who Jesus is, because of his death and resurrection, because Jesus is the Lord of our lives now. N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, love is not our duty, it's our destiny. It's the language they speak in the new creation, right? When Jesus makes all things new, but we get to learn it here even though it's difficult. Like anybody ever loved anybody and it came super easy all the time? No, right? Like, but it's worth it. It's worth it and we get to learn it. In Jesus, this is who we will become. People who love like this. Like, this is who we are becoming right now. So what does this mean for you? Well, I hope it would mean less finding and more becoming Right, because you're coming to the realization, whether wherever you're at in your relationships, if you're married or not, that marriage is not like the golden egg. Right? Like marriage isn't the point or the guarantee of your life. Jesus is. Jesus is. So who are you becoming? That's what you get to look back on in your own life. That's what you get to reflect on. Here's a, a practical point to all of that. You guys know the friend zone? Okay, some of you, right? Like, so there's this, there's this idea of the friend zone, right? It's usually guys who are whining about being friend zoned, okay? And for those who don't know, my working definition is that that usually means that, that guys are, are upset that they've become such good friends with this person that they don't get some, right? Like, that kind of thing. Like, just being candid up here, all right? Just, we're just real people hanging out, right? Like this idea of the friend zone, okay? And so my, my whole thing, I spend a lot of time with high school students too, so we talk about this. My whole thing is embrace the friend zone. Like you know what sustains relationships and you know what sustains a marriage besides Jesus, right? Friendship. Friendship does. I've been married seven years now and you know what keeps that going? I'm married to my best friend. Friendship does. Like, be a friend, become a friend, love like a friend. Like, that, that might even mean, you might have been married, I don't know, 20 years right now, and the friendship isn't there, and you need to bring that back. Go embrace the friend zone. I don't know what that looks like in marriage as much, but, like, go for it, right? Like, become friends again. And speaking of, like, dating and friends, like, 
I, I feel like we need to say this too for those who are dating, have dated, and aren't married, I guess, right? Like breakups aren't the end of the world. Breakups aren't even bad. Like how many of you dated somebody and you're glad you didn't marry them, right? Like all those middle school girls, I was like, I'm so glad I'm not with them, right? Like, like they, we, we always get to this place, especially I think with like young Christian couples when, when it doesn't work out and we're like so sad. Like it, it's okay to be sad because it broke, right? That's what breaking up is. Something broke and it hurts and it, great, be sad about it. But it doesn't mean that like we got to figure out how to get them back together. Hopefully they learned something in the process and they made much of Jesus in the midst of all that and they got to know what relationship is actually about. Breaking up doesn't mean you failed, right? Because then, like, dating would suck worse than it does for some of us, right? I'm a failure, right? Like, no, it's not what it means. And so dating, in my opinion, comes full circle. Like, married people, if, if nothing we've talked about up to this point has meant anything to you, this is for you, okay? So feel free to, like, do the thing to your spouse or whatever you, you know, people do. Like, hey, pay attention to this. This will be good. Here's what I believe. Right? Like, this is the reality that there is some force in the world against relationships. Right? You could call it evil. You could call it Satan. You could call it the devil. Right? But it is constantly trying to break apart relationships. So how crazy is it that Satan does everything he can to get us to have sex before we get married then he does everything he can to make sure we don't have sex after we get married. <laughs> right? I mean, you don't have to be like, amen to that one, but you know, like, <laughs> we get how true is that. And, and so, married people, let's, let's get on the dating train again. Uh, did you know that 83% of married dates lead to sex? I made that up. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't know, but, but I'm just saying there's probably a better chance. There's probably a better chance. <laughs> like, become a dating expert now that you've been released from the role of, of making someone else the right person. Like, help each other Instead, live as dearly loved children of God, following a God who loves them relentlessly. Like, find that place. Because you don't need to try and change this person or that person. Let God do that work. And now, since I don't have any lists for you, right, like, again, what happens now? What does this look like fleshed out in real life? Like, how about this? How about if we started by focusing on who Jesus says we are? Well, like, I mean, even go home and open up your Bible or find one or grab one on your way out or whatever you need to do or open it on your phone and find out what Jesus says. Who does Jesus says you are? That you are loved, that you are made new, that you are his child, that you are forgiven, that you are set free. You are who Jesus says you are, not who the world says you are. So what if we started focusing on who Jesus says we are? What if we embraced his love for us 
so that we could then embrace the pursuit of loving others? Like what if that just started spilling out of us because we weren't trying to make somebody into something else. We weren't even holding someone to some expectation that they should be a certain way, that we just loved them out of the love that was flowing out of us. And what if we spent much less of our time trying to find the right person or make someone the right person and instead we focused our attention and our effort on living into the person that God calls us to be. Like imagine, imagine how that might transform the way we date or the way we stay married or the way we live as single people. Like imagine how by the power of Jesus in us that actually might transform our lives. And we would become different. We would become imitators of God. Let's go ahead and set our things aside. I'm going to give you some space to just be with Jesus. That might mean you close your eyes, bow your head, whatever you got to do. I'm just going to give you a a few moments to, to reflect on some of that. Maybe you need to spend a few moments reflecting on who God says you are. And that's it. Like that's what you got to take in today. That's what he wants to say to you. Maybe you need to take a few moments and ask for forgiveness and, and turn around and say, I, I was trying to make people into the image I wanted them to be, or I was, I was trying to find the right person so ruthlessly that I missed out what God wanted to do in my own life. Maybe that's what you got to do. Maybe you just need to reflect on how much God loves you and how that might change the way you live your life and the person you're becoming and ask him to help you become that person. So take a few moments, and I'll close this here in a minute. As you continue to to take that time, I'd just like to take a second and and speak to maybe those of us who are here this morning who haven't crossed the line of faith, so to speak, into a relationship with Jesus. We haven't handed it all over, surrendered our lives. Maybe we never even thought about that Jesus was this picture of the love that Paul talks about, that Jesus loves you with a love that is patient and kind, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that, it, that is all out love and sacrifice. Maybe you didn't think about that Jesus loved you like that, and today he's offering you just as he does every day. He's offering you his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. He's offering you the opportunity to be made new. And maybe that's what you're ready to do today. And I just want to give you the opportunity to make that decision if you need to. So you can pray in the quiet of your own heart a prayer that goes kind of like this God I, I I just give you my life today I give you control I ask that you, you, would, you would take me and make me new that you would forgive me for sinning against you for turning away from you whatever that's looked like in my life would you, would you just wipe that clean 
God, I acknowledge that you sent your son, Jesus, to the cross to die for me, and he rose from the dead. And that's where I find my hope. My destiny is in living like that, Jesus. Today, I give my life to you. And if you prayed that prayer, like the, that's a decision you just made that is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Like there's nothing more important than choosing to follow Jesus. I don't know a single person who's ever regretted the moment they gave their life to Jesus. And it's such a, a big deal and it means so much that around here we ask that you would just lift up your hand and, and make eye contact with me and you just say, yeah, that's me today. I'm crossing that line of faith and we'll pray for you at the end here and we'll celebrate that and it, it's your day between you and God. So if, if that was you and you're crossing that line of faith today, would you just slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and say, yeah, today I'm, I'm crossing the line. Yeah, I see you right there. job God I thank you so much for those who have stepped across that line today who have said yes to your invitation would you fill them with your spirit would you give them a new hope and a new outlook on life would you help them become a person who imitates and follows you with everything they have God, and in the midst of all of that, too, we, we, we praise you that you're a God who would even, by some roundabout way, speak into the things of our lives like dating or, or marriage or even our, our singleness in the moment, whatever it might be, that you so care about us, that you so get us, that you want to be involved in even those details of our lives. And so, God, I pray that we would all be able to walk out of here holding you at the center of those things, the center of our relationships, that you would be the core, the foundation for us. God, would you help us become the people you've intended us to be? Would you help us love and live our lives just like you lived yours? For your glory, in your name we pray, amen.